Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time to wake up. <laughs> it's five. We're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. The game. Come on. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Lightford did on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game, leading up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. I had to hold that one because I just did the math on the runs scored for the Giants compared to the runs against since the series against Colorado, and that number is astounding. So I will get to that stat in just a second because we are going to start off uh, with a little Giants baseball. Uh, but later on in the program at 5.15, debuting the new segment, The Doghouse. Kyle Shanahan, he has a doghouse. Apparently, Brandon Ayuk is in The Doghouse. Significant others, they're known to have The Doghouse. Well, you know what? I don't have a doghouse. Now I do. It's Nice Guy Steven's doghouse. That's coming up at 5.15. We're going to get into some football talk as well, uh, as well a little later on in the show because Raheem Moster announced yesterday that he will be out for the season, leaving the 49ers with a couple of rookie running backs in Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sherman. And then he also got Jamichael Hasty, who's the wily veteran on the team. And then they also made another signing as well. I'm not sure what the impact will be of that. But we'll get into all that uh, a little later today. And before I give you the run differential here for the Giants, ever since that series started against the uh, against the Rockies at Coors Field last week on the 6th, I just want to appreciate something. And before we actually get into any of the details from the Giants' 6-1 win over the Padres as they have won their... What is it? Nine straight now? They're ninth straight? That's crazy. But I just want to take a moment to appreciate something because this hasn't happened too often this season, and I don't think I've appreciated it enough. But when playing highlights, there are times when you can't hear the crack of the bat. The camera might not be able to pick it up. The microphones that are on the field might not be able to pick it up. Well, I don't know where the microphone was placed at Oracle Park yesterday, but it was perfect to pick up the sound of the crack of the bat. And I don't know if there's a more beautiful sound in sports than the crack of a bat. You know, maybe the swoosh of a net. An underrated sound would be a bowling ball going down the alley. The the, the, the Hearing that bowling ball go down. Maybe a golfer striking a golf ball. There are a lot of beautiful sounds in sports, but to me, the crack of the bat is the top echelon. It's the Patrick Mahomes of sports sounds. But yesterday in this Giants game, the camera was able to pick it up so beautifully. And let me just start off with Buster Posey, who got the scoring uh, started early in this game. But just listen to the sound of the crack of the bat on this solo home run by Buster Posey. 
left center. Profar looks up. Adios! Pelota! Make that seven first inning home runs for Buster Posey. one nothing Giants. Did anyone hear that? Listen to that one more time. Ah! Deep left center. Credit NBC Sports Bay Area for that audio. But look no further. You can continue with Tommy LaStella, who continued to score. Now, they got to the 2-1 lead because Jake Arrieta decided to try and pick off Lamont Wade when Lamont Wade didn't even have much of a lead going off of first base, but I don't even need to get into that. Uh, but Tommy LaStella with the RBI single to give him the 3-1 lead in the fourth. Just listen to the sound of the crack of the bat. And hits the first pitch up the middle into center field. Base hit. That's going to score Steven Duggar easily. 3-1 to one Giants. Mm. Credit to NBC Sports Bay Area for that one. Just got to play one more for you because in the bottom of the seventh, they made it 4-1 to one with Darren Ruff and his RBI double to right center. But just listen to the crack of the bat on this one. Oh! Toward the gap right center field. That's going to sail over the head of Grisham. The third is Truffle. He's heading home, and he will score without a throw. A double for Ruff, and it's 4-1 to Giants. What a shot that was. And you know what? At 888-957-9570, I'm going to get my thoughts in on this game. I'm going to get my thoughts in here. And anytime I call out for the number, just asking for your general thoughts on the game, you know, I don't really get too much. But if I give you something specific, then you start texting in. So here's my specific question to you in this first segment. Who had the better sound of the crack of the bat? Was it Buster Posey? Or was it Darren Ruff? Which one? Buster Posey? Deep left center. That was nice. Or Darren Ruff? Toward the gap right center field. That's going to sail over the head of Grisham. The third is Truffy. He's heading home, and he will score without a throw. A double for Ruff, and it's 4-1 Giants. What a shot that was. Now the Giants would tack on a couple of more runs on the board as Brandon Belt would also uh, get himself a nice little RBI double, which would score Estrada in the eighth. And then the Padres would make yet another error where Manny Machado, I don't know if he overthrew Eric Hosmer at first base, but it was an inaccurate throw somewhere where Hosmer couldn't get it. Hosmer just didn't even look like he made an effort. And the ball ended up... Uh, carrying over to the net and down the down the net behind the fence. That's ruled out of play. That means that Brandon Belt was able to score when Buster Posey hit that ground ball to third base. So then they ended up making it uh, six to one at that point after the error. But you know this offensive onslaught that the Giants are on right now, and uh, we'll get to Buster Posey in just a second. But this offensive onslaught that the Giants are on right now, ever since. They started on the road against the Rockies. They had that tough series against the Brewers that we talked about at the beginning of the month. Then they won two of three over the Dodgers. Then they went at at Coors Field to Colorado to play the Rockies. And ever since then, here's what the scoring has looked like. 10-5, now, I understand they got five more games left uh, at home here until they get a ne- the next day off on the 20th, two more against the Padres and three more against the Braves. But those runs right there, those runs in the past nine games that I just listed off there, 71 to 24. 71 to 24, the Giants are outscoring their opponents in the last nine games. That's a crazy number. That's insane. And that's the type of thing that's going to get your run differential up. And I don't even know how I don't have the run differential up with the entirety of the team. And right now the Giants with a 95-50 record have a plus 187 run differential. Now it's not as good as the Dodgers at plus 242. And they clinched themselves a postseason berth last night. And have still remained two and a half games back of the Giants. Feels like the Dodgers have been two and a half games back of the Giants the entirety of the series. Or excuse me, the entirety of the season. It feels like they've been two and a half games back. And even still this late into it. You know, you clinch a postseason berth. Then the next night as the Dodgers are facing the Diamondbacks. 
they do that as well. But the Giants are playing they're they're playing hot right now. <laughs> they're playing some hot baseball. And I'm just going to play this Buster Posey solo home run one more time because John Miller had an interesting statistic there uh, in his play-by-play call. Deep left center. Profar looks up. Adios! Make that seven first inning home runs for Buster Posey. One nothing Giants. Seven first inning home runs. And when you look at his stats through every inning and you look at all those splits, obviously he's had the most played appearances in the first inning, in that opening inning. But overall, he's got those seven home runs and he's got 16 RBIs to go along with it. But he's got a 328 batting average with a 1.17 OPS on 75 plate appearances. He's also got six doubles to go along with it. it. Those numbers in the first inning, you'd hope maybe that Buster Posey would have gotten those numbers in the entirety of a regular season. But he's doing that in the first inning. At least, well, maybe not the plate appearances. You'd want him to have way more plate appearances than just 75. But when you're just reading out the average and the OPS, the home runs and the RBIs, you wish that Buster Posey would have that. But the most impressive part about that home run and something yesterday we were kind of discussing was, you know, what we were most wrong about with this Giants team as they clinched their postseason uh, their postseason appearance. The thing I was wrong about as well was Buster Posey and how quick he's able to turn on a pitch. Because Jake Arrieta was throwing in this one, and uh, i I, got to be honest, I didn't know. Uh, Yesterday, Curly and I were both saying this back here. John Curly, producer for the Morning Rose. We were both saying back here, we're like, wait, Arrieta? Padres? (laughs) I didn't even know. And right now he's got a he's at five and thirteen with a seven point oh five ERA. My goodness! But Arietta has that type of movement on his pitches where it's going to be moving inside on you if you're a right-handed hitter. And somehow he still throws it really hard. Buster Posey's able to turn on it and just crush it to left field. And and he's been doing this all season. There was one at the beginning of the year where he had two home runs in one game, and on one of the pitches, it was it was like 97, it was high and inside, and somehow he still turned on it and crushed it to left. It, that's what's new with Buster Posey that we're seeing this year. This year is among many other things. The plate discipline's always been there. As a matter of fact, he's actually striking out just as much as he's uh, uh, just as much as he had in the pre- previous few years. But it's his ability just to recognize the fastball, and turn on it quickly. And I haven't even mentioned last night, because the offense was just it was just rolling. There was only one half inning where they went 1-2-3 in the order. But other than that, I believe that was in the fifth. But other than that, they were constantly getting on base, constantly putting the pitcher in the stretch. That's so important. Get the pitcher out of their windup. Get them out of there. Get them into their secondary type of delivery. You know, don't let them get into that windup. Sometimes when these players are in their windup, when these pitchers are, then that's when they can get rolling. But the Giants just felt like we're getting a runner on base every single inning to start out with. Somebody there. When you have a runner on base, that puts pressure on that defense. But well, not only the offense was uh, was uh, impressive, but Anthony DiSclefani as well. Anthony DiSclefani went six and two-thirds. He gave up three hits. He only struck out three. But the key statistic for me, and this just doesn't even go for DiSclefani, this also goes for Tony Watson, who came in for relief for him because uh, Jerks and Profar was up to bat, and Jerks and Profar was the only one to do anything against uh, uh, against DiSclefani, who had the double earlier on in the game in the third inning. So they took out DiSclefani. They bring in Watson. Everything's all good. Then they bring in Tyler Rogers, who yet again has another unbelievable outing where he just doesn't give up anything, just strikes out one, has a 1.65 ERA on the season. Then Camilo Duvall comes in, shuts things down, gets a couple of Ks on his own. Um, But overall, DiSclefani looked really good, but the Padres, they were 0 for 20 in their top five hitters. Trent Grisham, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Aaron Nola, Excuse me, Austin Nola. 
calling him Aaron Nola. Austin Nola. That can't be the first time that, that, that that's happened. They were 0 for 20 in this one. The top five batters. The only guys to do anything were Profar and Adam Fraser. And then Jake Marisnik when he came in to pinch hit. From the 925, <laughs> Buster Posey crushed one off a washed-up Jake Arietta take. Homerism engaged. I'm sorry, 925, that you're not understanding the detail of what I'm trying to say here. Forget the pitcher. Forget who it is. Look at the pitch. Look at how quick it was. Look how fast it was thrown. And look how Buster turned on it. You hadn't seen that from Posey in the past few years. So... I mean, you could, t- you could call that homerism, call that what you want, or you could just call that intelligent baseball talk. Because that's all I give you here at 5 a.m. on the pregame show. You know what, 925? How about you reach out with something else? You're in my doghouse, 925. You're in my doghouse. And that's what's coming up next. And I want to know from you at 888-957-9570. That's the text line and the phone number. Who is in your quote-unquote doghouse? I'd love to know. Because coming up next... I'll let you know who's in my doghouse for this week. It's the debut of a new segment. That's all coming up. Steven Lankford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Good morning, everybody. Steven Lightford in with you. 95.7 game. <laughs> I just got a text here at 888-957-9570 as we took the first segment and rolled with the Giants in their win over the Padres. Their 6-1 to victory, yet they remain two and a half games up on the Dodgers. Can't seem to find that edge, but the 925 was in here calling me a hober, and then I said, hey, 925, you're in my doghouse, and I want to know from you at 888-957-9570 because that's what we're going to be doing right now. This segment is called The Doghouse. Kyle Shanahan, all I've been hearing is doghouse. I've heard doghouse more than any other term this past week when we were talking about the game. Because every other every other text message that was coming in, you know, whenever we were talking general thoughts on 49ers and that win over the Lions, you know, there'd be every other text that would say, Ayuk is in Shanahan's doghouse. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to create my own doghouse, and I want to know from you, because you can have your own, too, at 888-957-9570. Who is in your doghouse? Could be from someone from sports, can be a celebrity, it could be whoever. It could be your significant other if you want to put that out on the air at 522 in the morning. I don't care. 888-957-9570, but I said 925 for calling me a homer. The night I said 925, you're in my doghouse right now, and I don't know if you're ever going to get out. You might be a nice guy, Stephen Doghouse Lifer. Then you said, you replied, shh, you're Doghouse. You're the type of guy who needs two hands to lift a one-gallon milk jug. Forty years old, pushing kids out the way to get autographs. You ever seen that before? Have you ever seen two grown adults fighting over something uh, like that? Because I, I've actually seen 40-year-olds push kids out the way so that they could get their autograph. I don't know the story behind it. I don't know why they were doing it. And by the way, I'm 28 years old, 925. I'm not, you know, not 40. Give me, give me a few years on that one. Uh, but <laughs> I've seen a couple of guys, a couple of grown men fighting over foul balls before. I've seen two grown men just fighting because they can't take the trash talk. Hell, I was at a Raider game once, and there was a dude who was a Charger fan in front of me who was wearing the baby blue jerseys, and you knew at that point that if you're behind a Charger fan in the bathroom line, then you know someone is going to come up and start talking smack to him. And what do you know? A fight starts happening in the bathroom, and I'm right behind it just watching the entire thing. (laughs) Uh, Love you, 925. But... This is the debut of The Doghouse, and I've had my song prepared. Where is it? Oh my goodness. The song is gone. Okay, give me one second, everybody. 
Give me one second. I need to find this song just for the doghouse because, you know, I was trying to tie in Snoop Dogg and then the doghouse and everything's not working out right now because it, apparently I thought I had it planned out, but it turns out that I don't. Uh, give me one second here as we proceed to give you what you need. All right. This is the debut of Nice Guy Stevens' Doghouse. Look, I'm just telling you. It ain't no fun being in my doghouse. I'll tell you what, Kyle Shanahan, he has guys in his doghouse. At one point, Dante Pettis was in his doghouse. We were wondering if Jalen Hurd was in his doghouse before he went on IR. Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk apparently is in his doghouse right now, but there's also other things where Jimmy Garoppolo is saying, yeah, yeah, he, he could come back if he, uh, you know, is better than Trent Sherfield. You got Kyle Shanahan saying, yeah, there's a chance that he could come back, but still, doghouse. I got a couple of guys in mind, and I want to know from you at 888-957-9570, who is in your doghouse? It ain't no fun, I'm telling you. Number one. Number one in my doghouse, you know who it is, and this one's not too easy. And by the way, let me give you a little context here as well. If you're in the doghouse, you have a chance. You have a chance to get out. You know, next week, by the time next Wednesday comes along, I'll get you, I'll give you a chance to get out depending on how this next week goes. I mean, some other guys that are in this doghouse, whoever it is, they might not have another chance to get out of the doghouse. I'll have these written down. And I'm not going to give that many right now. I got a list of four. But here are the guys who are in my in my doghouse. Right now, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is in my doghouse right now. If you've listened to this show, you understand how big of a fan I am of Aaron Rodgers. You know that I think this dude... I felt like he was um, misunderstood. Everything that he was doing throughout the offseason was reported in a fashion in which he didn't want it to be. And then he had that very uh, eloquent and well-thought-out, damn-near-hit piece on the Packers with how everything just went about with the, the contract negotiations and him essentially saying that, look, I want respect, I don't really want the money. But then you come out in week one and you lose 38 to 3 to the Saints. You only go 15 for 28 with two interceptions. And those interceptions, at least one of them, and you just threw it into no man's land. Just threw it into no man's land out of nowhere. And it, you, you didn't even bother to look like you wanted to be there. It was just a bad showing come week one. It's not to say they can't come back. It's not to say, hey, he doesn't have a chance to get out of the doghouse here. But as of right now, Aaron Rodgers, you're in the place you don't want to be, man. You're in Nice Guy Steven's doghouse. I'm telling you, you don't want to be in here. All right, second one. This one, this one is this one's just really stupid, and it and, and and really it's selfish. But hey, this is my doghouse. You can have your own doghouse if you want. Second is Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And reason being, I needed somebody to step up in that game with the Thursday nighter for the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. I already had Ezekiel Elliott and Mike Evans going in that game. And with Zeke, he probably deserves a little more to be in my doghouse. But Ronald Jones... Ronald Jones didn't even prove he was the starting guy. Now they said he's gonna they're gonna get him the ball back, but four attempts for 14 yards? I need a little more than that. Come on, Ronald Jones! You're in my doghouse. Mainly because of just how it went away from my fantasy team, and I'm sure uh, athletes love that, especially football players when, you know, regular people like me are just talking about how they need to perform for their fantasy team. But whatever, this is my segment at 528 in the morning. How selfish is that? But 888-957-9570. I got a couple of more here, but 888-957-9570. From the 603... Damian Harris is in my doghouse because he fumbled away a sure win in Miami, and now Miami thinks they're going to be good this year. I don't know if you're a a Patriots fan, but hey, Mac Jones, I thought he played real well. Uh, Tua Tungavialoa, I still need to... I still need to wait to evaluate him. He didn't have a good year last year, and we'll see how he does this year, but 16-15 to was the loss, and I'll, I'll tell you what... 
Damian Harrison, that fumble, totally changed the entirety of the game. Totally changed the entirety of the game. So I'm with you. But hey, 603, this is your doghouse. Make it what you want. It's yours. I, I'm not going to control it. It could be whoever you want. From the 510, Trevon Merrick is in my doghouse. I felt he was late on a lot of plays and didn't tackle well, as you would like. I know it was his first game, but hey. Uh, that's from the 510, and he's talking about rookie safety Trevon Merrick from the Raiders. I didn't hear much of his name. I didn't hear much of his name on Monday night. I don't know what that secondary is going to be looking like. I do think that's up that's up in the air right now. The pass rush looked good, but Trevon Merrick, a lot's expected of him from the safety position, and you're right, he didn't play too great. From, let me see here, from the 925. You know what, this is a good one. From the 925, Niner, quote-unquote, fans who message Mostert's wife, get an effing life, and stop gambling. That's Oscar from the Donut Shop. I agree. And you know what? Those people, they don't have a chance to get out of my doghouse. Those are nice guy Steven doghouse lifers right there. Anyone who messages the family member of an athlete. And, and, and I'll, I'll extend that all the way to the past here. Ever since social media became a thing and you could just openly talk to these uh, to these players and their families. Like anyone who does that, you're in the doghouse for life. And, you know, and we'll get to Raheem Mostert in the details about that after, the sec- after uh, this segment here. But those people that were just coming after him, it's gross. It's sick. I mean, the dude's getting hurt. And you're just kicking him while he's down. It's just, it, it it's messed up. It really is messed up. And those aren't fans. Those are just people who are trying to get a rise out of someone else because they might not be okay with what's going on for them personally. I'm, 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 I'm with you there. From the 415, people with more than 15 items in the express lane and the cashiers who don't enforce it, they're in your doghouse. 415, I like it. From the 650, Kanye West is in the doghouse for all the antics around the Donda release. <laughs> Kanye West is in his own house that was built inside a stadium. That was way too much. From the 628, TJ Ward is in my doghouse talking all that smack on Mac Jones. I got I got one more here who's in my doghouse, and this goes to the Chargers game, but the ref who, and I'm not going to give this guy a chance to come back, but this ref, there was a call from that uh, oh gosh, who were, man, my, my memory's so bad. Who are the Chargers even playing in this one? Hang on, give me one second here. I'm just going to just gotta double check and make sure that I cite my sources correctly and do everything right. Yeah, that's right. They were playing the Washington football team, and they ended up getting the win. But there was a play where the Chargers were in the red zone. I think they were at the 12-yard line. And Justin Herbert gets hit. Not necessarily hit as he throws, but he's in the throwing motion, and then he gets hit immediately as soon as it goes forward. A wide receiver's in the end zone. The ball floats toward the end zone, but the ball is, you know, hits the ground, and you just think it's an incompletion. But they called it a fumble. They somehow called it a fumble, even though his arm was clearly going forward, and that ball was just floating in the air toward a receiver. I don't know how you call it a fumble, but those referees, you're in my doghouse. Now I got one more. I got one more in my doghouse here. And as, as I keep the music going, Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly, the rapper, the actor. I mean, this dude, you know, actually, I, I like his personality. I thought he's, uh, I've seen him in interviews and I thought he's pretty cool. And now he's dating Megan Fox. And I'm not going to try and judge so much from social media. But Conor McGregor tries to come up to you and take a picture at the VMAs and you reject him. So now it's looking like a Conor McGregor promo for a fight where he's getting all mad and he's throwing a drink at him. But you could tell that the anger was clearly there. MGK. I mean, who, you're really just going to reject a picture from Conor McGregor when he asks you to take one? Who are you? Who are you to not say yes to a photo of Conor McGregor? And also to get him riled up? I mean, if, you, if they got into a fight, obviously Conor McGregor would win. But Machine Gun Kelly, you, you're in my doghouse.
That's it for the Doghouse. We'll be back next week on Wednesday to see if those guys make it back and to see who else enters the perils of Nice Guy Steven's Doghouse. Now, before we do get to um, before we do get to Raheem Mostert and also a couple of things that Brian Baldinger had to say on the morning roast regarding the 49ers offense, I do think are uh, a pretty interesting. And then also one team in the NFC West to me that stood out this last week, and it's not so much because of what they did on offense. I'll get to that next, but I, I do just want to want to say. Hearing the news uh, that Norm McDonald had passed away yesterday uh, was was really brutal. And Norm McDonald, of course, famous uh, stand-up comedian, famous comedic actor, uh, he, he died at 61 years old. Of course, Weekend Update. You knew him as uh, as Burt Reynolds, a.k.a. Turd Ferguson and the Celebrity Jeopardy, all those different things. But when I saw that news yesterday, I was just thinking about it. And we don't make comedians like that anymore where... You know, even if the crowd isn't laughing, he's the comedian's comedian, and the jokes that he was making, even if the crowd may have not found them funny, he knew they were funny. He was just that type of artistic genius. And, you know, you can go back, watch his uh, SB's opening speech at, for, from 1997 at the awards, uh, you know, with Charles Woodson and Ken Griffey Jr. in the crowd. Um, you can watch any of his weekend updates. They're amazing. Any of his appearances on Late Night with Conan, all of those different things. So um, just hearing that news yesterday, you know, it bugs you a little bit. And you you just think, wow, they don't really make comedians like that anymore. So rest in peace to, to Norm McDonald. Was really sad to hear that news yesterday. All right. Coming up next, 888 That's the text line and the phone number. How are you feeling about the Raheem Mostert injury? How are you feeling that he's going to be out for the year? Is it just you're in that next man up mentality? Or is this team, is, is has this given you less confidence going forward about the season? 888 That's the text line and the phone number. Stephen Lightfoot in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. 888-957-9570. That is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. But we are talking about the impact that the Raheem Mostert injury can have on the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we did start off this first segment talking about the San Francisco Giants and what they've been able to do. We put people in the doghouse. That'll be back next Wednesday. And real quick, before we get to all the Raheem Mostert uh, updates and everything surrounding it, I mean, the fact that the Giants have outscored opponents ever since that series against the Rockies, so nine games ago, they've outscored them 71-24. to 71 to 24. And and I'm not even going to try and do that much research to the point where I'm going to look the entire season to see if they've had that kind of a nine game stretch. But it's going to be hard for me to believe that they've had that sort of stretch where, (laughs) I mean, they've had what, a 57, 47 run differential in the past nine games, you're going to be hard. It's going to be hard to find that kind of number uh, there. So shout out to the Giants for getting that win over the Padres as they still remain two and a half games back up, or excuse me, two two and a half games up on the LA Dodgers. And they've managed to do that for what's felt like the entire season. And with Raheem Mostert, though, and here's the thing for me, and before we get to Dave and Pleasanton, who wants to weigh in, and I want to know from you at 888-957-9570, with Raheem Mostert's injury, knowing that your backups now are going to be the rookie, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon, who didn't even uh, suit up really last week, uh, Jamichael Hastie's going to be the other guy, and then they actually just signed Carrion Johnson as well. Carrion Johnson, uh, I believe he went to Auburn, former standout there, and uh, you know I-, I don't know how much playing time he's going to get. But they did sign him, so we'll see what happens there, and we'll see if there's any um, we'll see if there's any changes to running backs. But as of right now, it's looking like it's going to be Mitchell, Sermon, and then Hasty as well. But hearing that news yesterday that Raheem Mostert, first off, just hearing the knee problem already early on in the season felt terrible for him. 
knowing the type of dude that he is, if you've ever heard his press conferences before, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's not afraid to express how he's feeling. Can't imagine how he's feeling right now. And yesterday decided that he was going to be out for the season so that he can get his knee 100% before he starts to play again. Because, you know, Raheem Mostert's at that point now, I think, in his career where you just don't know. You just don't know. And with him... I just felt terrible for Raheem Mostert, not only the player, but Raheem Mostert, the person, as well as his family, too. The hate that they've been receiving as of late from fans that his wife was talking about, everything surrounding it. Raheem Mostert's a good dude, and really... I I understand, and David Pleasanton's gonna to, gonna build up on this point. I understand the whole. Well, you know what, Kyle Shanahan can work with whatever running back, but I felt like I was hearing that so much back in 2019 that it felt like it was almost a disrespect to what Raheem Mostert was doing. Because Raheem Mostert had an NFC Championship game that was historic in terms of what he was doing, and yet we're still sitting here going, yeah, Kyle Shanahan could do that with any running back. I don't know if he could have done that with any running back. It took away from how good I think Raheem Mostert uh, started to become. Now, granted, not much was expected of him. You know, not to start out his career, but then as he got to the, as he became a special teams guy and then eventually started working in the Shanahan offense, I think he became an overall better running back. So just hearing that news, it stunk. It stunk. But we do have to see what's up. And at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero, if you want to weigh in, is it that next man up mentality that you have or? Are you a little concerned with how the rest of the 49ers season can go? Especially knowing that as well that Jason Verrett on the other side of the ball uh, also had a torn ACL, which was another just heartbreaking story. But let's go to Dave in Pleasanton. Dave wants to weigh in. What's going on, Dave? Hey, so first off, I do agree with you. Uh, uh, Bolster did have an afterburn that most running backs don't have. If he passes that 10 yards down the field, he's gone, and no one's getting it. Right. So he did have a special attribute that we are going to miss. I just think with the talent that they turn out, like I don't think Kevin Coleman was a high-round draft pick. I don't think Devontae Freeman was a high-round draft pick, and they both got a 1,000 yards with Kyle Shanahan. I just think we're going to be okay. The Brett loss is more drastic. But I do want to say, I know this is a little late, Doghouse for me, John Lynch. (laughs) Frank Gore is sitting there. Frank Gore is sitting there waiting. I know he's thirty-six years old, but he's a bionic man, and he's going to get as much get as much done as anybody that you can get right now in in the season. All right, appreciate the phone call. I don't know about that. That's 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 tough for me to say, Dave. But you you are right. Uh, the, the thing with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman and, you know, what's on... Because I'm, I'm looking at both sides of this, right? This uh, having Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon going as uh, your two running backs. I'm looking at it from a couple of different angles here. There's one angle where I'm actually thinking... Because in, in Kyle Shanahan's past, with the running backs that he's had in the past, um, you know, I was trying to find any way, any any pattern... You know, any theme, any common denominator with Kyle Shanahan's running backs and uh, the, the the type of success that he was uh, was able to get them. Going all the way back to his time, you know, with Washington, with a guy like Roy Hallou, and he even made Roy Hallou a good uh, a good back. You remember that guy, Roy Hallou Jr.? Shout out to Hallou, man. And he a bit wasn't he a Bay Area guy? Roy Hallou, I'm looking at I'm looking that up right now. He was, yeah, straight out of Danville. Shout out to you, Roy Hallou. But in his time with Washington, Kyle Shanahan, you know, he made him into a pretty good running back. Not great, but pretty good. And the thing was, you know, Dave mentioned Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Those guys were younger at the time. And and that's the theme of Kyle Shanahan and the success that he had with running backs. The oldest running back that he'd worked with up until, you know, last season, really, was uh, the oldest running back that he'd worked with up until two seasons ago was Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde at 27 years old, but a lot of those guys, you know, that he that he works with, and a lot of these guys that he's turned into good running backs or given good seasons, they're you know at 22, 23, 24 years old, and that's where uh, there is some upside. But here's the thing for me when it comes to Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon, it's the fact that this happened in Week One, 
right? If this happened maybe in the middle of the season and we truly knew who these running backs were, then then I'd be looking at this with a little more conviction, saying, okay, they got their guy. But we still got 16 games left to go. You know, the bye week is going to be in week six. Relatively speaking, that's an early bye week for the 49ers compared to uh, the rest of the teams. And don't get me wrong, Elijah Mitchell looked fantastic. All right, don't don't get me wrong on that. I thought in that week one game he showed a lot. The 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 quickness, the speed when he made it to that second level past the line of scrimmage and he got to the linebackers. Like I thought he showed vision as well. I thought Elijah Mitchell looked really really good. But after all, he is a sixth round pick, and it was one game and one guy that I look back on who had a great start to the 2019 season who's relatively the same height and weight as uh, as Elijah Mitchell, but that's Matt Breida. And Matt Breida had his fumbling issues, we all know that, and eventually he was having an okay first few weeks for the 49ers. As a matter of fact, I mean, do you, re- you do remember that Browns game? <laughs> that Browns game in week four where Matt Breida was just running all over him with 114 yards. He looked great in that game. He also had that touchdown. That was his lone touchdown for the 2019 season. But we've seen guys do this before and put up yards. I think with Elijah Mitchell, what I'm trying to say is I need to see more of it, and I don't know how much of it can stay consistent. That's that's where my question comes in. I'd love to just say, oh yeah, Elijah Mitchell's going to be good like this all the way through, damn it, what is it, week 18? <laughs> I almost got that wrong. All the way through week 18. I'd love to say, yeah, I think he can be consistent with it, but I just don't know. I don't know. I need to see more of it. And you're going up against a Philadelphia Eagles team who are coming off a high right now in this win over the Falcons. And the Falcons being a pass-heavy team with Mike Davis as the running back. They got Fletcher Cox up the middle. Their front four is very good. We'll see if they can you know, push the pile at all because the Lions defensive line really wasn't able to do that uh, in Week 1. So I thought it was an excellent start for Elijah Mitchell. But I still think that there's an evaluation that's yet to be made. But week one, he gave you a lot to like. And here's the other thing for me when it comes to the running backs. Everyone's very high on Trey Sermon, you know, third-round pick, and uh, they took a running back a little earlier, I think, than anyone expected. I I don't know how many thought Trey Sermon was going to be on this team, but Trey Trey Sermon coming out of Ohio State, you know, after the preseason, I thought he looked okay. He looked good, but he didn't do anything earth-shattering. He's a big body. He's a he's a big boy. He's six feet, two hundred and fifteen pounds. So he's got the size there, and he's got the strength. But there wasn't anything he did in that game where I was just thinking, "Oh yeah, that could be the starting running back for this team." Oh yeah, he could be the number two guy. I thought there was still some some work that was left to be done. I just I came away from that. Everyone was very high on Trey Sermon and what he could bring, and I understand the optimism because you know he's a third round pick. But there wasn't much in preseason that I saw to get me that excited. You know, he had a couple of jump cuts here and there, and there was a time where he did run a defender over. But other than that, you know, we've seen running backs do that all the time. I don't know if he can do that on a consistent basis, and that's the word that I'm probably using way too much here is consistency. So I, I, I'm just at the point now where, you know, I think Kyle Shanahan can make it work because it's Kyle Shanahan, but I want to see it stay consistent through these 17 weeks because uh, through these 17 games because it's not only just Kyle Shanahan calling the plays, but sometimes they're not going to work and you're going to have to have your player alone do the job. Hell, that's that's another thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, Kyle Shanahan and him work very well together. Jimmy Garoppolo can easily execute the offense that Kyle Shanahan is running, but the question is. If Kyle Shanahan's offense isn't working, then the quarterback needs to get you out of that. Can Jimmy Garoppolo be that guy? I'm not sure. Can these running backs be those guys? If Kyle Shanahan's offense just doesn't seem to be working against the defense. More often than not, it does. More often than not, it does. But what if? Because I was watching, and I watched this on I watched the condensed version yesterday. But I was watching the Cardinals versus the Titans. And... 
Chandler Jones is going to be getting all the recognition, all the headlines, as he should. As he should. Chandler Jones had five sacks in that game. He also had a run stuff very early on. And it's just like, man, this guy's a menace. Even before he started getting those three sacks in the first quarter. So Chandler Jones was taking up all the headlines. But what got lost in it is, I understand Todd Downing's the offensive coordinator for the Titans. And he was just a bland play caller. But one thing that stood out to me in that that game with the Cardinals was how good J.J. Watt was at stuffing the run. Just blowing right by the interior lineman. Boom. Just one move. J.J. Watt's in the backfield. That happened multiple times in that game. You know, Chandler Jones was getting the headlines, but at the same time, J.J. Watt was taking up room. And when you're going to face him, possibility of Aaron Donald in those teams... I think the 49ers just overall have better talent than a lot of teams outside the NFC West. But when it comes to just straight NFC West talk, that J.J. Watt thing, when I saw that yesterday, I was just thinking, man, that is going to be tough when you're playing with a couple of rookie running backs against these guys who are a little more experienced on the defensive line than the Detroit Lions. We'll see coming up against the Eagles in in what they have in store for them. But I'm, I'm, I'm just not as bullish, I'd say, on the run game without Raheem Mostert, as a lot of 49er fans are. That's just where I'm at. That's just where I'm at. But Brian Baldinger, he was on with the Morning Roast yesterday, and he had this to say regarding Elijah Mitchell and the speed that he possesses. Well, I like exactly what the 49ers like. You know, I mean, they like the speed, and they covet speed, like top flight speed, like fourth. I think he ran a 4-3-3 at his pro day. That's what got him drafted. You know, you're coming from a smaller school, different program. Now, Louisiana plays a lot of big schools, so I'm not knocking the program. There's nine Division One schools in the state. But on the touchdown run, he hit the alley. It was a great, well-blocked play. But he hit the alley, and that was it. You know, he, nobody was going to keep him out of the paint. It was a house call. So that's what I like, the speed. It looked like he's got good vision. we got to see what his contact balance is like. We'll know a lot more. He got a lot of carries. The touchdown run, it's pretty nice to see, you know, in his opening uh, debut. And it's there. There's no mistake in there that what he did in that week one. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dilute what he did in that first week, but because the yards after the contact were was higher than I think any player in week one in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, which is just crazy to think about his yards after contact. But can it stay consistent? That's a question I think that remains that has yet to be answered. And Brian Baldinger continued, and here's what he had to say regarding the rest of the NFC West. All four quarterbacks played great. I don't know if any quarterback threw an interception. I think maybe you know maybe Kyler threw one. Yeah, he threw one. Um, yeah, but he was tremendous. And it's more right now than just DeAndre Hopkins. Christian Kirk's got a bigger role. Rondale Moore, AJ Green, they were pretty much unstoppable. I, I don't understand Tennessee and what they were doing. Taylor Lewan could not handle Chandler Jones. They couldn't handle him on the other side. At some point, you have to adjust, and you just can't let him get one-on-one rushes. He was that was some performance. I mean, JJ Watt's out there on the field, and it reminded you of JJ Watt in his prime five years ago when he was a three-time defensive MVP of this league. That's what it looked like. Like, they were good, but but you know, so was Matt Stafford. He was awesome. Yeah. The deep shots down. This is exactly what McVay wanted. And really, for all you people that follow the Rams, I mean, just watch Jared Goff struggle. You know, against pressure and just a little bit off. You know, here and there, and you know that's what they dealt with with the Rams. Stafford's arm is just so much stronger, and he's just so much more accurate. That's gonna that's gonna help that football team. They're built around stars, and their stars played great on Sunday. Look, from week one, just judging from week one and having my overall reaction, the Rams looked good against the Bears, but, you know, I thought that during the middle of that game, the Bears had some chances to get back into it. They just couldn't because they're running an offense with Andy Dalton, and you are going up against Aaron Donald, I understand, but, you know, that win against the Bears, it wasn't um, entirely impressive to me. The Seahawks and what they did... you know, of course, Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson, and he's got, you know, just such a pretty deep ball. But also, he was playing the Indianapolis Colts, who do, after all, have a good defense. But that 28-16 to win, I-, I wonder what it would look like if they were actually going up against an offense who wasn't hurt and didn't have Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. But that Cardinals win over the Titans was so 
impressive. And I understand that Brian Baldinger just mentioned he doesn't know what the Titans were doing, but at the same time, I mean, the Cardinals look damn good in that game. Kyler Murray was playing like a video game player, and he has a depth at wide receiver. Chase Edmonds is a nice little running back as well. I mean, the offensive line, as far as the offense goes, might be the weakest group if we're talking about the running back and the offensive line and the wide receivers, and then that quarterback room as well. And their defense, I think, was uh, relatively underrated. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, the rookie who didn't really show out too well last year, Isaiah Simmons made this hit on Derrick Henry where he just stonewalled him before the goal line. It was a very impressive hit. Now, Derrick Henry, you could argue that he was falling and didn't have all the momentum going his way, but if you can somehow stonewall a falling Derrick Henry and you do it solo and he's still chugging his feet... That was very impressive. From the 707, next man up for the backs, just like the rest of the league who doesn't pay backs. There are plenty of guys who can move the rock. I'm worried about the CB situation more. I'd like a trade to address that if we have the same season goal as before week one. From the 707, next man up, anybody can run in that system, even me, and all I do is drink beer and watch the game. (laughs) Okay, 707. Anyone see that? That reminds me. Did anyone see that video that was posted by, I think it was the Checkdown on social media. I believe it was the Checkdown. But they posted a video of these fantasy football guys who had to, uh, this fantasy football league, and in order to um, create the draft order, they were running 40 times. They were running 40 times. And every single one of them, as they were running the 40, pulled up with a hamstring injury. Every single one. Every single one, and I felt I felt like, hey, that's realistic. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know if it's that point to where it's next man up that anybody can run in the system, even me, and all I do is drink beer and watch the game. I mean, I could say the same thing, but it doesn't take just anybody. You know, I think it takes someone else. But I understand where you're also coming from, other 707 that I was going to. The cornerback position is a worry. Um, you know, without Jason Verrett, don't know what to make of that. We'll see what Josh Norman looks like when he actually suits up. I, you know, people have high hopes for him just because of what he once was, but I got to see it to believe it. And did anyone see yesterday how Jimmy G handled a question when he was asked about how he felt when Trey Lance had that touchdown, when Trey Lance is the one that came in to score it? He essentially just said, you know, That's Kyle Shanahan's decision. It is what it is. And that's Jimmy Garoppolo talk for, I hated that decision. That touchdown was mine, and I wanted it. And they gave it to the rookie who isn't even supposed to start until next season. This is my team. I wanted to be the one to score the touchdown to open the year. Not that guy, Trey Lance. (laughs) I keep on saying, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. But the way Jimmy Garoppolo answered it, I, you know, maybe it was just a decision, and these guys are professionals, and they'll just deal with it. And Mark Sanchez was constantly talking on the on the broadcast about just how mature Garoppolo has been handling that situation. But I mean, when I heard that yesterday, I thought, "Wow, okay, finally, Jimmy Garoppolo actually showed that maybe you know he's feeling some type of way about this backup quarterback situation." From the four hundred eight, you have to be a bit worried about the 49ers backfield. Two rookies in the room. Sermon is already injury prone. Depth is definitely a concern. And I think you could see that it's going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to make a lot of throws because in that time in 2019, when Garoppolo was having a good season, not trying to knock the win-loss record because everyone wants to shove the win-loss record in my face, but that run game in 2019 was unstoppable damn near. And Matt Breida took over the first half of the season while Raheem Mostert took over the second half of the season. Had a very good run game to work with. So we'll see. It, I, I know you hate that. I know everyone hates that. You, you'll see. And from the 650, Kittle and Juszczyk are a large part of why the next man up can work. You're right on that. And if I had to guess, here's just an early prediction. Because they didn't really get try to get the ball to Juszczyk all that much. He had one target in this game. One reception for seven yards against the Lions. I guarantee you, Juszczyk is going to be the first man scoring a touchdown in the next game against the Eagles. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. No doubt in my mind. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining the Morning Rose. Thanks so much for participating. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.